I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to somewhat of a Signal Brexit Day special. We are recording on the afternoon of the 29th of March uh, 2019, the day that we were supposed <laughs> yeah, the day we were supposed to leave the European Union, uh, but not quite, as I'm sure all of you are well too aware by this point. <laughs> but um, we are in the studio and literally it is, uh, I'm going to time check this because it's about three minutes before the MPs go in to vote on the EU withdrawal agreement for the third time being brought back into the House by uh, Prime Minister Theresa May. And I am joined in the studio by two of Westminster's highest bound <laughs> political pundits, Mr. Sam Hales, editor of Christianity magazine. Hello. And Miss Ruth Jackson, who has a shiny new laptop that I've just given her. I'm so excited. It wasn't a gift, she did buy it. And um, <laughs> She has no, no idea how to use and it. And has no idea how to use it, as you well know if you've listened to the show before, technology does it's need It's my first ever computer. Big chat. Hang on, what? Yeah, I've never owned a computer. Okay, we can get into that another time. <laughs> um, there are more pressing things happening in the country uh, and even in the studio than uh, Ruth's uh, technical woes. Um, so as we mentioned, we are on this kind of most momentous of days recording Signal. Uh, if you're listening to Signal for the first time, we don't usually do a ton of political chat. This is the podcast from Christians in Media, uh, the organisation that brings you together if you're a Christian working in the media and goes behind the stories of faith in the media. And uh, we do this show every month. So if you're listening for the first time, welcome along to this rather odd afternoon. Um, but we are going to be talking a little bit about Brexit because we tried to avoid it, really, for the past couple of years, haven't we, folks? I mean, we tried to mm. kind of like steer clear of this uh, rather kind of gargantuan mess. I'm still trying to avoid it. I might walk out halfway through. Yeah, let's see how this goes. Um, if my voice kind of gives out beforehand, it's not that I've just given up and left, um, but it is on the ropey side, as you can probably uh, hear. I'm kind of doing my Barry White kind of dulcet tones this afternoon. Um, so we are going to talk Brexit. We're also going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the stories that have been happening in the faith sector, in particular some of the most recent developments uh, between people who are out sharing their faith on the streets and at risk of being arrested. That is an interesting and somewhat disturbing story. Uh, and we'll also be having a little bit of fun talking about the return of Game of Thrones later on, and I will be quizzing the guys on whether or not they are into any of the uh, Game of Thrones religions that are on ava- uh, available in the show. Um, so we will, we'll see how that, that goes on. First of all, I suppose turning it over to you guys, so obviously we are at this kind of weird impasse uh, this afternoon. How are you feeling about 
Brexit. I mean, we've been talking about this for literally years now, mm. and the past two weeks has been somewhat tumultuous in in all manner of things. Are you just completely exhausted by it, or are you still engaged in what's going on, Sam? I'm a little bit bored. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I'm no, definitely not actually, Sam. <laughs> maybe, maybe let's hold Sam's opinion for a moment. Ruth, go for it. I just think the country's a little bit bored, <coughs> and also just there seems I think the overarching emotion from everyone is just total confusion like no one knows what's going on let's be honest like even the people who are because it's totally unprecedented right so even the experts in inverted commas don't don't know what's going on there's just a sense in which yeah none of us have a clue and then trying to disseminate that you know if you work in the media and you're trying to disseminate what 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 on earth is going on with all these votes and the th- it's the third one but why weren't the first two successful and, and what does that mean and you know even if this vote is successful we've still then got to work out the details of all of that trying to disseminate that in a way that people can understand when you have no clue what's going on and even the experts and the commentators have no clue it's just really difficult mm. and then I've got to try and explain that to young people as well and they have like yeah, g- good luck yeah our, yes. uh, our political commentator our political editor rather um, said to me just the other day that you know we've, we've never seen this happen in parliament before I think he was talking specifically about the indicative voting that's been going on but it feels like he could have said that almost any day for the last few months yeah. even a couple of years now that you know unprecedented is very much the word but i enjoy what someone said on twitter which is that i'm really enjoying the season finale of the uk oh gosh it's funny actually <laughs> it's a little got, bit dark maybe I've, but I, there is a sense in which it is a bit like a soap opera and every day that goes by at the moment there's some sort of new development yeah, yeah. absolutely and we are seeing obviously that one of the things that particularly the uh, kind of church's reaction to this on a number of different fronts has been that um i suppose a desire for consensus is the thing that's coming along and i'm i have some problems with that i think um this week the the bishop in europe uh, dr robert innes um has said that he supports the call for the revoke of article 50 and a delay to brexit so that a national what he calls a national consensus can be built um he was speaking on wednesday following the petition that i'm sure many of you have become aware of that's had i think at time of writing just over six million signatures um, and that it would still, um, you know, revoke Article 50 will not honour the results of the 2016 referendum, um, the government has said. This is a big problem, right? Is that how do we gain consensus? Do you think that we can pull people back together in this or are we just too far gone at this stage? I think there's a difference between consensus and sort of unity and respect because I think consensus means that you all agree and you all are going to come to the same decision and I think the Brexit vote the initial Brexit vote shows that we don't have consensus on this the country was almost split down the middle in terms of remain versus leave but I think what we can have is unity in that decision and like genuinely respecting each other's opinions it was interesting I was at um, a sexual ethics lecture on Monday night you know youth worker what else would I be doing on a Monday night man you really um, know how to spend your weeks don't you (laughs) Rachel Gardner said something really interesting. She was talking about disagreement around um, perspectives towards sex. And she said the old tolerance said, I disagree with you, but I'll fight for your right to have to have that different opinion. Whereas new um, that new tolerance seems to be saying that um, that we're just wrestling in the marketplace. And, And in some senses, I think what she was saying is that when we talk about tolerance now, we're not talking about a deep respect but still an awareness that it's okay to disagree. When we talk about tolerance now, we're talking about this consensus of opinion, which I don't think we're ever going to have, actually. It's more like a kind of right or wrong thing with the new tolerance, where (laughs) actually if you have a certain opinion, we're not going to tolerate you saying that. And we've we've seen that, with again, with Christians and some of the particularly difficult issues around sexual ethics, where society appears 
appears to be saying, no, if you hold that view, we're not going to tolerate that view. Yeah. And that, like you say, that's a very different idea of tolerance. And that's very much coming to the political sphere. What I love, I don't know how much you've read of Oz Guinness, who's a social commentator, amazing Christian guy. And he talks a lot about, actually, as Christians, we should be fighting for people to have their ideas in the public square. He talks a lot about the public square. And I do think that, actually, as Christians, we need to bring back genuine tolerance where we're saying, I love you and therefore I respect your opinion and I respect your desire to disagree yeah. with me. Well, I suppose on the, on kind of these ethical views and on these kind of moral ideas, that I think we can totally see is that you know, there's, there's a debate to be had because it's hard to kind of draw a hard line in the political sphere mm. on whether or not these things are right. But with this whole subject of Brexit, I think that the, the difficulty that we've all had is that trying to find consensus behind something that is not a hard and fast, this is right, this is wrong decision, but is one of a myriad of complex different problems, that's the hardest part, right? Is that you look at this subject and there is no mm. one part that you can go, well, that's morally, ethically correct or wrong. Well, I think you in know, terms it's, of... Trying it's complicated. To, yeah, trying to find this consensus, trying to find unity. Let's take a massive step back here. I would say that when the referendum was put to the people, <laughs> it was made very clear that the UK government would implement the decision of what the people decided. Now, there was no asterisk there saying, oh, by the way, if it's a close vote, then maybe we'll rethink it. It was, no, whichever has the majority will happen. So if we, take a, big, work. <laughs> if we take a big step back from this, I'd say, well, can we start to build some sort of unity or consensus around Brexit, one way or another, will happen. Now, yes, we can have our debates about soft Brexit and hard Brexit, and we can you know, like talk about Brexit, when it's going to happen and all that sort of stuff. But I personally, and this is just a personal view I, I am a bit uncomfortable with this idea that we should all there should still be some sort of campaign to stop Brexit because I would say otherwise that's not democracy is it <laughs> but well, what the, the counter argument to that is no democracy is we carry on arguing forever and in a true democracy people can but change their mind stop, but yes my issue with that is this is very this was always built as a once in a generational kind of decision on this and we know that politicians have argued about Europe for a very long time and again this referendum was set out as a right once and for all we're making well not, maybe not once and for all but once in a generation decision and you know last time I checked the generation was about 25 years. So if we want to have a conversation about rejoining Europe, let's do it in a generation. Let's yeah. implement the democratic decision. Now, I know that's controversial. I know plenty of people would have a big issue with that. But when I think about consensus and unity, I see those who voted Remain. And let's remember that Theresa May is one of them who voted Remain, who nevertheless understand that in a democracy, we have to respect the result of that referendum. Yeah. And of course, you know, in many other spheres, in business, for example, if you've got a split vote, but then you know someone makes a decision, ultimately, you rally around the decision or you get out, right? That's mm-hmm. That's the way it works. Obviously, we don't have the ability to necessarily force the people out that we don't like who don't like that decision. But you know, that's the way that things would go in business. The bit that's interesting here, though, is that there is a difference between finding consensus, as in let's get everybody to agree, versus a more you know kind of moral feeling that we're coming together to do something for the common good as opposed right. to consensus right so consensus would say let's try and find a ground that everyone can agree on and a few people have to compromise at the edges that doesn't seem to be happening right now in parliament certainly and it doesn't seem to be uh, happening through the indicative pro- vote process as we saw early this week a number of mps being interviewed on all of the breakfast shows saying well i'm mostly going to vote for the things that i already thought was the right thing to do and, and that doesn't seem to be something for compromise an interesting article um this week in the new statesman from um the previous uh well the the 
predecessor to our current Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Dr. Rowan Williams, um, writing in his regular column for the New Statesman, um, entitled Brexit Shows Britain is No Longer Able to Imagine a Common Good. To attempt to run a democracy without shared goods is a recipe for anger and stalemate. And I think that what's quite an interesting piece here is, although slightly highfalutin and complicated um, and rather more of a theological exegesis on the you know, kind of the role of politics in modern society, which I don't think is what any of us particularly wanted to get into on this Friday <laughs> afternoon. But um, an interesting point, if, if I took away anything from this article which I do commend all of you to go and have a read. It is the long read in this week's Statesman, so um, be there to uh, for a little it's while. It's not that long. It's not that long. <laughs> it's really not that long. It's a page and a half of eight thought. If that's l- a long read, there's no hope for my profession. It's longer than it's longer than Sam's average CD review in the back of Christianity. Um, is that... It, it, yeah, so the Staggers this week um, kind of sharing this uh, perspective and... Um, um, Dr. Rowan basically outlining, uh, and I th- find this particularly um, interesting, he says, So we find ourselves, as we regularly do, in a situation where opposing groups each regard the other's agenda as the worst outcome imaginable mm. in a dire situation of democracy. And I think that that is the hardest problem, yeah. right, is that this has become such a polarised thing mm. that people forget that the main reason they came into doing this was to find generally the common good. And actually, I was listening, I think it was Anna Subri this morning on Radio 4, talking about the fact that, you know, if when you put aside all of these other things... Actually, Oliver Letman also mentioned this um, this week, who obviously was the one who brought forward the indicative vote process this week in the Commons. Um, he mentioned this in his interview with Nick Robinson um, on the uh, Politics podcast around, you know, if you take away all of the other things, uh, 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 you know, take away Brexit and leave all of the other things, I apologise, um, and look at what, you know, we generally feel about things, most of these things we agree on. If you look at most of the public mm-hmm. policy, certainly within the, the in the Tory party and respectively inside Labour, there will always be differences between those two groups. But right now, all of these groups are divided at one end of the spectrum or the other, and I feel like this loss of common good, this sense yes. that the reason that we're doing this is to try and make the country better, generally, seems to have gone out the window, and everyone is just... At either end of the spectrum shouting at one another saying that what you're doing is trying to like crash the economy yeah. or you know kind of ruin society in which you know we just know that that's generally not a reason that people get into politics yeah well i think um he's hit on something very interesting around this this buzzword this phrase the common good and i think i, I think we christians have fallen into this trap a little bit i've heard a lot of christian organizations saying well you know as christians in a democracy there's lots of different views what we should all do is work together for the common good and you think some of us are sitting there saying but do we actually agree on what the common good is um and i do think it's become a bit of an unhelpful buzzword in some sectors i'm just not sure you know if you were to take a a, a secular atheist a christian a muslim a hindu uh and an agnostic and someone who voted labor someone who voted conservative and someone who's very strongly lived and put them all in a room what is the common good I don't think it's always as simple as we think it is when we chuck these phrases around. No, because the people are like, well, be nice to one another, which I don't think is particularly helpful when you're trying to debate whether or not you should be you know, kind of paying into the EU kitty. That's, it's not particularly exactly. helpful to yeah. nail these things against kind of... The, the, the common good is a nebulous concept that doesn't nail itself down into legislation, and that's the problem that but we're going back to come your, up against. Going back to your uh, earlier point, though, I, I have noticed the <laughs> polarisation in the sense that if you rewind the clock five years, ten years, is of course there are a few people who thought the EU was the worst thing ever and of course there are a few people who thought it was the best thing ever but it seems like now people have 
become so much more entrenched in their views. I don't know exactly why that is. Is that a result of the referendum? Is that a result of all the political wrangling since? But it just seems like suddenly there's a huge group of people who think the EU is the best thing ever. And if we leave, it's going to be the worst thing to ever happen to our country. And there's also a much larger group of people who suddenly decided the complete opposite to that. And I do worry, I don't have the answer, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts. What What's happened that we've suddenly become, we've suddenly all started to care about this so much more than we did a decade ago or even five years ago. And we've all become so much more entrenched in our views, either that this is the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. I tell you the one thing. So obviously when I, when I think about these things I, th- I think about the impact on young people and there's, there's lots of people we had an interesting article written in our January magazine about the fact that a decision has been made on behalf of young people who are now eligible to vote um, and it's interesting uh, so Jamie Cutteridge has written the article and he says <laughs> it's like waiting for exam results that someone else has taken but it will change their lives and so there's that perspective of like they are living with the decision that other people have made mm. and they would have predominantly voted remain but I think there's also and that's not necessarily a positive thing but I think the one positive thing that has come out of it is that the young person that I've spoken is that the young people that I've spoken to seem much more engaged in politics and actually that's not to say that they wouldn't have been pre-Brexit but because this this is affecting them in a way that they can tangibly it's like you know it's within their imminent frame to use a really poncy philosophical word but it's <laughs> yes. you know it's it's within their lifetime and it's it's decisions that they can see that are actually going to impact their lives and so they've had to kind of up their game and say actually politics isn't this nebulous thing that's out there that I don't know anything about politics affects me it affects my family it affects my friends it affects my my friends who might be from another country and now I need to think about these things and actually I'm going to become more engaged within the political sphere which that may well be the you know the case that they become more engaged I think I still have a slight problem with people saying oh well you know we should if we go and do another um, people's vote or something like that today or we should make it extended out to 16 year olds or you know kind of younger because you know it will affect them in the future it's like that's been true of every vote that's ever happened it's true of every government that's ever come into being you know no one was sat around saying oh well we should never have done the you know if we had um you know kind of let the 16 year olds vote in the general election that put tony blair in place we would never have what had the iraq war like though that you can't rewind history in that way but i do think that the engagement thing is a really interesting subject overall actually and i think what particularly one of the things that was coming up a lot in the interviews this week was people saying well should we have a general election to sort this out i think that that's potentially one of the worst possible outcomes right now because i think you'll probably get the lowest turnout for a general election that's ever been had because the amount of people that are saying I just want them to deal with this um, is is just at a record level and you know kind of like saying oh no go ahead and you know kind of do a, a general election to kind of sort it out is I was just worried that that is not going to help anybody mm. on the on the young people subject to young people um, I have been thinking recently or I was told recently about how we've seen a, a significant cultural change in this country to do with deferring to others so we no longer defer to those in authority out of respect for them and that would include that we less and less and I include myself in this I'm not trying to criticise young people but we, we less and less defer to to parents or to any kind of authority figure and obviously there's that in one sense is a very good thing it's good that people think for themselves they don't blindly swallow what other people say but there's another part I mean maybe the kind of the Christian part of me if you like that's a little bit uncomfortable with that because there's a lot in the Bible about respecting elders and indeed the whole culture of the time the Bible was written in was a sense of honouring those who are who are older and one of the problems that Brexit has created is a massive divide between old and young and I don't want to criticise the young only I don't want to criticise the old only you know there's there's always going to be wrong on both sides of these things but it concerns me where we see a lot of um, a lot of older people speaking against the young a lot of younger people speaking against the old and and it is interesting isn't it how we have been lived through this huge change in our society 
where we no longer defer to our elders. And I've just been thinking about how, yes, in some ways it's a good thing, but in other ways I do think that's, that can be quite a bad well, and a, a destructive thing, actually. I think we've lost the experts, haven't we? I think social media has sort of levelled, like, in some ways everyone's a commentator, everyone can be an expert. Well, we're all, we're all over experts, right? Yeah. I mean, as Michael Gove so famously said a couple of years ago. Yeah, exactly. But I think, but I also think from speaking from a young person's perspective, actually, you've got to earn your right for me to respect you in some senses. Like, if you're going to just speak nonsense yeah, and so not I respect my views. A, I don't think that's a biblical idea, is it? That, that people have to, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've, you've got to personally no, prove no, no, yourself no. to me before I listen to you. No, you're right. But I do think, actually, as old people, we shouldn't just assume that we're going to be automatically respected because True. we're old. Mm. Yes, absolutely. I do well, agree with that. I mean, in terms of finding consensus, it's certainly not oh. happening at the moment. So, as we're recording, we've just seen that the withdrawal agreement has again, once again, been rejected this time uh, at a vote of 344 to 286 um, who were approving it. So the government's been defeated by 58 votes, which again now puts this into um, a really interesting position. Um, as a result, Theresa May now will you know, have a very difficult time on her hands as she is now going to be facing down the prospect of what does she do next? Because one of the main things that she said bringing this uh, withdrawal agreement back to the Commons today was that if it was approved that she would stand down. If it's now been rejected, well, what does she do now? Does she press on? Does she carry on? You know, the, the character assassination, we've talked about that before on the, on the show, but the, the way in which she has been portrayed in the media in the past couple of weeks has been pretty uh, hard line and, and very unflattering, uh, particularly if you take a quick browse through the, the broadsheet comment and um, cartoon pages. Um, it's not been the most do, flattering way that she's been treated. I do find it strange, though, how often those who are online who are very vocal about things like feminism don't seem to be rushing to mm. Theresa May's defence and I don't know if that's a political thing if you if you're fe- fe- if you identify with the feminism labour you're more left wing and I, d- I don't know what's going on there but I would mm. agree with you James I think some of the things that have been said against her have been horrific I think and I've the, been surprised that more haven't jumped to her defence I think one of the biggest things that shifted seemed to be in her opinion it kind of like she regained some of this when she said she was going to press on earlier and her kind of opinion went back up and it seems to have dipped down certainly in the past couple of weeks what will be the really interesting thing now is that there is this kind of concept of stubbornness that is what was once seen as resilience in her right. that has now flipped yes. back to being seen as something that is actually a problem that is a character flaw of not being willing to let go or not being able to kind of look now three defeats uh, two of which some of the first and fourth historically uh, most worst defeat that's ever happened to the government in the in you know kind of recent history this now being kind of up there in the top 10 I expect of uh, you know kind of losing by 58 votes against the government this is uh, you know kind of stubbornness now being yes. portrayed or at least that's the way in which well, it's being looked you at. You wonder if those MPs who cheered when she went off to Brussels and says, I can be a bloody difficult woman, are now thinking, I really wish she wouldn't be so difficult. It's kind of come back to bite them on the other end of things, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So the SNP have just been commenting in the House now that they must look now at revoking Article 50. I think that that is going to be something that is going to be a real sticking point over the next couple of days. Obviously, Monday we will see some of the options that were brought forward in the indicative votes brought forward to the House now to find if they can find a possible way out. They were hoping to have avoided that process obviously um, hoping that this withdrawal agreement would have gone through and then they could have moved on purely to the political declaration. That looked like that will not happen now. Um, we are obviously recording uh, and kind of talking about this live as the Speaker is kind of taking more questions in Parliament, so a little bit hard to kind of comment on. But maybe perhaps as we wrap up in this uh, session of what is rather a tumultuous day in Parliament and uh, yet more uncertainty is maybe just a comment from each of you just on, you know, when you've got this much uncertainty going around how do you think about kind of counselling those that come and ask you the question of well what should we do um, particularly when you're writing about this you know kind of t- 
talking about chaos and uncertainty doesn't feel like a particularly um, great perspective to be coming at when we you know, are supposed to be holding ourselves to a position where we have a faith and we know that things are stable and you know, kind of we have something to rely upon. But that does seem to be rather lacking, certainly in this well, commentary. Do you, do you have any counsel but on that? But I think that's exactly the point, isn't it? It's not like this is... <coughs> It's not like this is the only area in the history of our country or other people's countries where there's been uncertainty. And I think th- this is where we need the gospel more than anything else, isn't it? That we are living in such a tumultuous time. And let's not forget that because we've been become so obsessed with Brexit, we're, we've, we're not talking about things like knife crime and poverty and all the other massive issues in our country and globally. But actually, in all of those dramas and confusion, like actually we have got a solid faith. And um, and in the midst of despair, you know, we've got, got like, that's why I just love the incarnation and literally that word meaning incarnate like it, he became meat he became flesh like we don't have a god that stayed distance we had we had a god that came into the mess of the world to be with us in it and i just think that is the hope of the gospel that we hold on to that we have got one solid thing when everything else is around us is crumbling and i think that that is something that we all see holding ourselves to on a personal level the bit that i think is the hardest for us all to discern is that well you know where is kind of god in the mess of this that will be something that people will be asking and and you know kind of questioning right now is the you know, kind of the apologetic kind of question of well this is all chaos and it doesn't look like it's getting any easier well, this is hardly god's fault is it Where's i mean it this is this is entirely us isn't it i mean this is this is man this is humankind deciding to put all of these uh, votes to you know have a referendum in the first place and muddling through this isn't god's fault this is the way we've chosen to take our politics rightly or wrongly but i guess to answer the question it doesn't it doesn't no it doesn't bother me when politics looks hopeless because my hope was never in the politicians in the first place ultimately very good points well and obviously things will literally now move on a pace um over the coming hours and the coming days probably by the time that you're listening to this um even in the next couple of hours as we edit and put it out something more will have changed so we won't uh, kind of presume to know any of the answers exactly <laughs> on where this is going but i think that that is a good place to round that out on that conversation around brexit uh, coming back in a moment to talk about some of these other issues that are slightly adjunct to this is that we are I've got some uh, interesting stuff happening out in the country at the moment of people uh, trying to profess their faith in public and finding that a difficult thing to do, even risking arrest. We'll be back in one second to talk about that. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And we're back. So um, one of the stories that we wanted to bring uh, to everyone's attention is based off of an opinion piece that came from a uh, friend and colleague Lucy Denya over at The Telegraph this week. Um, she titled this piece, We're Supposed to Be a Christian Country, but try telling that to the keepers of our public order. Um, and she points out in this article that there's been three separate stories in the past few weeks, um, which have been, uh, she, she using her own words, from the ridiculous to the outright disturbing that would suggest that it, this is the case and it's deeply troubling that it is hard to be a Christian out there and sharing this now. She cites three different stories, the first of which was that there was a 64-year-old London street preacher who was arrested outside Southgate Tube Station for breaching the pe- uh, peace um, and potentially accused of being racist, uh, He or he accused the police of being racist, um, and they when they took his Bible away and handcuffed him um, he was later de-arrested, according to Metropolitan <coughs> Police. A second story investigating a Catholic journalist over the tweets in which she was misgendered um, and the adult child um, head of a transgendered support charity. And then a third story, uh, which was the letter from the Home Office to the Iranian um, national refusing his application for asylum because his conversion from Islam was inconsistent with his claim that Christianity is a peaceful religion. So three different indiv- individual stories. Um, and yeah, as we kind of enter into uh, the kind of Easter period over the next couple of weeks, and one of the big things that we're going to see is you know, lots of kind of people out trying to profess a story, preaching about the kind of death and resurrection. Yeah, we've seen this in Speaker's Corner, we see this on the streets of London here in the capital and all over the country. How do you guys feel about this? Do you think that we are seeing a kind of gradual degradation of people being able to profess faith publicly in these kind of ways? Well, there's a lot in this and as you can imagine in the position I hold, I spend a lot of my time thinking and talking about these cases and I will say this about street preachers in particular. We have now seen a number of cases where street preachers have been arrested simply for preaching on the streets. In every single case the police then release without charge, or in this case, de-arrest, which is a new word to most of us. And um, that's good in the sense that, okay, no one's been taken to court over this, or if they have been taken to court, you know, they've been found uh, found innocent. Uh, what's not good is that the police seem to be making a mistake here. There's, there seems to be time after time, in different parts of the country, not just in London, um, a whole stack of cases now where street preachers are being wrongly arrested. So I think the police do need to look at this very seriously. Um, I actually would support um, a, a petition that Christian Concern have launched on this, um, and they're taking this to the government to say, look, you really need to, to think seriously about this. And it comes back to issues of freedom of speech. The second case, Caroline Farrow, again, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. She said some things that I personally would not say, but I defend her right to say it, as we were saying earlier about what t- true tolerance means. And then the third one, this this Home Office case is literally the most bizarre news story I've seen all year. This person said, look, I'm a convert from, from Islam. I'm now a Christian. I believe I'm now in a religion of peace rather than a religion of violence. And, you know, the Home Office then decided to open a theological debate by writing back to him and saying, well, you say Christianity is a religion of peace. We've had a look at Revelation. It looks very violent to us, so we don't think you're a real Christian. I mean, this is just bizarre behaviour from the Home Office. <laughs> they have now quite rightly uh, promised to look into his case again. I, you know, I'm sure there's lots more going on than just just that particular paragraph in the letter. But the fact those paragraphs were even written in the first place from the Home Office, someone I think is absolutely outrageous. And I think that uh, this is a superb piece by Lucy uh, Lucy uh, Denier in the Daily Telegraph, and she says this. She says, "No matter that Britain is not only supposed to be a Christian country that upholds the right of freedom of both speech and religion." 
but as a majority Christian one. Those whose job it is to uphold public standards are, it seems, increasingly bowing to the mores of progressively secular society in which faith is not only viewed as an outdated oddity, but as both ridiculous and dangerous. So I think she's absolutely right to sound the alarm on this. I, I mean, I think she, no, she, there's no doubt that she's right that we're sort of swaying towards a secular um, agenda. However, having said all of that, I think when people, and she hasn't used the word, but when people talk about persecution of Christians in this country, that really bothers me because for a start, there are people in different countries who are genuinely being persecuted and are dying for their faith like guys that's what persecution is you can't wear a cross at work that's not put that's not persecution that's that's a rule of your office for a start but i also think have you not read the flipping bible like when it's not meant to be easy we're not meant to be swanning through life just talking about things and everyone's turning and converting like this is always meant to be difficult yeah. we, we were meant to go against against the grain you know yeah. it, 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 we're well, not lucy, meant to conform to the ways of the world it, yeah. it's meant to be difficult lucy lucy does admit this the end of her column yeah. is as st john the Evangelist said, "Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you." And she ends by saying, "Pertinent in Britain." Today. And I, I just think, like, we're meant to be living a life that raises questions. And if you're not living a life that raises questions and gives you, you know, um, this is very much in inverted commas, persecutes you, then yeah. you're probably not doing something right. Actually, we're meant to be living a provocative life. To, to just play the, I kind agree of the... with all that. I just don't think we're meant to <laughs> be questioned by the police when we do. Yeah. Right. Well, but I don't see why not. Because actually, if they're not Christian, which you know, a, a huge chunk of them are they're not going to understand why we're doing what we're yeah, doing. I mean, we have the... laws in this society that uphold freedom of speech and freedom of expression, so there's no way the police should be arresting us when because we have laws that says the police cannot arrest you because we have freedom of expression. To play the, the kind of other side of the argument out, though, and I've often thought this of seeing uh, people preaching in the street, and I've been out with people who've been doing it as well in the past. There is a, a certain... You know, there, there's Like with all of these things, there are good, the bad, and the ugly, and some the downright kind of like, you know, shouldn't you know, probably need to be thinking about kind of mental health issues at the other end of the spectrum which we all know that there are some of these instances some of these instances actually even reported have been uh, related to that but the question is is that in no other walk of life now in modern society do, is this really the way in which you get most of your message out and so therefore it does stick out like a sore thumb and probably is seen as something that is disruptive of the mm. piece that being the first um, article here of the, the um, street preacher um, being arrested outside Southgate tube station um, in the video that is posted um, you know they, he's kind of accused of breaching the peace and um, you know arguing what classes of breaching the peace is an entirely different discussion but I suppose the question I have for you guys is that you know, with all of these other mediums that we have today where we've got the ability to get people's attention in so many different ways and where attention is really hard to compete for um, you know, is street preaching the most you know, kind of useful use of these people's no. times? No. And, no way. And there you go. So no there, there way. Is I, I, have very, kind of... I have equally strong views on that as I do everything else I've just said. You know, <laughs> If you're asking me do I think street preaching is effective? Well 99% of the instances I've seen I'd say is not effective. I would question the wisdom of the way they communicate their message. Um, but that's not the question, right? The question with this is, should they be allowed to do it and should the police be arresting them for it? Um, so, yeah, of course, as an evangelistic technique, it's not something I, I tend to see done that well. And I'd agree with, with your point, sadly, about those who are involved in it of a, often aren't actually in a very good place emotionally or spiritually or indeed with their mental health. But I would absolutely defend their right to do it. And I think the reason this is important is, like you say, it is unusual to see this, but the, the, the reason this matters is they are on the sharp end of how we apply our laws. Because they are, okay, a little bit odd, a little bit unusual, saying some things you don't hear in the rest of mainstream society, well, that's exactly where our laws will be tested on. Do we really believe in freedom of expression? So they are actually on the front lines of that battle. Um, whether or not you agree that 
that the evangelistic message they're doing is, is, is good or not. They are on the front edge of the debate with freedom of speech and that's why they matter. Um, I know that you guys are working on a kind of a, lo- a long form piece around this kind of like advance of secularism for the mag and, and stuff in the future indeed. which is I think a fascinating thing that we're beginning to see is whether or not that is going to be a kind of growing issue in society and I think that this is, is kind of an early indicator. We're running low on time so we must move on and I would love to quiz you on this last little piece um, and it's kind of well actually it's no way related it's just a bit of fun but one of the things that is obviously uh, coming back to our screens in the next couple of weeks is the final season in the Westerosi uh, battle for the ages and trying to take back the Iron Throne if you don't know what I'm talking about then uh, the answer is Game of Thrones um, I know that Sam has uh, actively avoided watching Game of Thrones so most of this will come at a, 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 a kind of a deficit to him Ruth, can you, you actively avoid something I guess you can yes I suppose so uh, Ruth are you a, a, a Thrones watcher huge fan okay so you'll be with me on this so what I would like to are you to, really um, yeah. yeah yeah I didn't I'm, know this about there's you. a lot of naked I was quite uncomfortable in the first series I no judgment no no I'm not judging no, I just genuinely didn't no, know no, that no, just, I was quite uncomfortable in the first series there's just a lot of nakedness so they're clearly like, trying to hook all the men in but the story's fascinating and they just like kill off so many characters it's like really brave writing yes I think that um, on all of the scales of um, vulgarity gruesomeness and um, you know kind of sexual content we uh, apply the explicit warning yes. to this section only yes. of the podcast um, but other than that in terms of examples of great storytelling and particularly mm. interestingly um, d- debates around faith and religion um, it's one of the most present things actually in um, the, the show itself every episode um, has at least one or many references to all of the gods of the old world that they're talking about um, to run you through them there is the faith of the seven that's the main kind of Westerosi uh, religion on the on the western isles uh, you also have the, the drowned gods of the iron islands those are the guys up in the up in the north and the wet area the lord of light which is the most interesting one and probably most parallel to um a kind of a kind of judeo-christian kind of idea of what a god may look like although very much more the god of the old testament and vengeance filled and of fire which led is by quite- a creepy red lady uh, red her hair not um, red in terms of skin and then we have the many faced god of bravos which is uh, the one who's kind of the most deceptive and then of course the Dothraki horse god which you know everyone's into the horse god right um, so I thought I might just ask you which of these you kind of feel most attracted to Ruth now as, as someone who watches the show um, if, if we gave you the option of these uh, based upon their weird rituals which of these would you land with um, making sinners walk naked through the streets of King's Landing. Yeah. You can either take that um, or you could possibly take drowning. I mean, they're all qu- what, quite it's on all the pretty gruesome, burning isn't it? people. These are all quite oh. brutal, aren't they? It's a shame. But- I think maybe I would go for the fire gods <laughs> purely because, spoiler alert, the fire god raised hottie from the dead. Raised the hottie from the dead. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad that you've kept it on that classy l- level. L- maybe let's look at some of the kind of um, the real, the real <laughs> Sam life. Sam is looking horrified. <laughs> Not horrified, just incredibly confused. Yeah. I just want to speak on behalf of anyone listening who doesn't watch Game of Thrones. I feel your pain right now. I have no idea what's going on either. Stick with us. Sam it will get through it together. We will get through it's it together. Do carry on, John. Well, there's a couple of interesting ones. So there, there was a few parallels to real life um, uh, religion. Uh, in particular, the, the horse god, um, which is the Dothraki horse god, um, there is a horse god in Hinduism called, I think I'm going to m- badly mispronounce this, Hayagriva, um, 
Well, similarly, uh, horses are a very, very important uh, daily life of the, the Mongols, who the Dothraki are loosely based on, um, even if they're not worshipped. So that's quite an interesting one. Um, and the, the real-life parallels also, there um, aren't really any religions that worship death itself uh, specifically, although Mexico obviously has its strong kind of um, celebration of the Day of the Dead. So there are a few of these interesting parallels. But what I thought was most fascinating, really, about this whole thing is that uh, this, uh, by the way, we're basing this all off of the uh, the wonderful journalism that's been done by Amy Blumson at the, at the Telegraph running all of this down, um, is that you know there are these kind of parallels, and this is one of the shows that is the most popular pieces of you know, kind of meta content in the world right now, and it is full of religion, and I just don't think that we are seeing many pieces like that, so um, we commend that to you, Sam, to go have a look at, and if you want a bit of fun and want to kind of dig what, into the these things. What, the article or the TV show? Uh, well, I would say both, but I mean, I would it, start with the article, see whether or not you can kind of I stomach have tr- I'm sorry, I did try the TV show. Did I you? Decided, well, I watched the first episode and just felt it, it probably wouldn't be a good idea for me to was be... It, was it all the nakedness? Well, it's just it like, if, if that's the first episode, it's only going to get worse, isn't no, it? No, 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 no. Well, it's James not. said it did. I mean, it gets worse for a bit and then it gets better. Oh. The, yeah, so post-first series, there's a lot less nakedness because they've hooked the boys in by that point. Okay, bear that in mind. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, if <laughs> hey, you're listening... Each to... Each to whatever you feel <laughs> parental, you know. parental advisory we've made the disclaimer uh, season th- there are uh, good seven. Christians on both sides of this I, debate I let's say, put it that 1 way 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 it's about like not letting your brother stumble and all of that isn't it yeah like Something it's not the sort of thing lines. I could personally in good conscience recommend other people Fair. to watch but it's also not the sort of thing I'd ever judge another Christian no, for watching because that's it's the story not my place that's, and that's, it's brilliant I could yeah. just summarise the story for you how about that <laughs> I would sure, rather that we that. didn't do that oh, because okay. that will take the best part of about seven <laughs> hours and we just don't have the time because there's many things happening including all sorts of things going on in Parliament as I'm watching out the corner of my eye. I can't get distracted by that. What we should do is talk about recommendations. So coming back after this, we will recommend things that don't involve Dothraki horse gods. Okay, so the recommendations of this month. Um, if you want something to take a break from the Brexit or digest from the Game of Thrones, then now is the time to get your uh, Waterstones card loaded up or any other bookshop of your choice and go out and buy a book that our lovely uh, colleague here on Signal, Ruth, has just contributed to. <laughs> uh, Ruth is now a published author, or at least in part, um, contributing to <laughs> half, uh, half a, a new uh, devotional, I suppose, or a kind of devotional yeah, Bible mix. So what would you call What's the name of the book? So it's called Hope Rising 365. And the reason it's 365 is there's 365, um, yeah, I guess like short things for each day. And the idea is that it's for young girls, so sort of 11 to 25 year olds, I guess. It's quite a big age range. The idea is that every day you can turn to a page and there'll be like an encouraging word or um, the idea is that it's, it's for non-Christians and Christians, but there's a bit of scripture in there. There's a little bit of um, stuff around sort of mental health, safe esteem, self-esteem. Um, my my contribution to it is entirely entirely rogue. It's all apologetic. So while everyone else is writing about how um, you don't need to wear makeup because you're beautiful, I'm talking about do ghosts exist? Uh, what about suffering? Does God even exist? Uh, so girls, was, if you're reading this and you hit birth? one of the less happy pages, you know, <laughs> just look for the little Ruth at the bottom of the page, and you'll know this. This has been um, collated by Meg Cannon. Yeah, um, tell us yeah. about Meg. Oh, Meg's brilliant. So she works for um, Coco, <laughs> which stands for Keep On Keeping On, which is part of the Girls' Brigade. And um, she makes a lot of videos for young girls, just 
telling them that they're enough and that they matter and they're important and for all of us I think the reason that we all um, decided to get involved when Meg came to us was that I'd have loved a book like this as a teenager where you can just read it and just be really encouraged and I think no young girl struck, you know, doesn't struggle with self-esteem and things like that and I think particularly in a media saturated place where you actually can't switch off how perfect people look behind a filter um, so yeah it's really good it's really good very good the collection includes additional um, features from uh, friends of ours like Rachel Gardner Ali Martin and Rachel Newham as well as our very own Ruth Jackson so you can pick that up Hope Rising 365 out on SBCK and get that where all good books are sold uh, Sam what's your recommendation for this month don't freak out because this is not the recommendation but I need to ask you have either of you been watching The Disappearance of Madeleine McCann on Netflix I have watched the first two episodes okay. and I found it quite difficult right so it's uh, yes I mean we need to put a, a kind of a warning at the beginning of all this which I 100% acknowledge that there are ethical questions here you know I also found it just quite difficult because I've got a three and a half year old yeah, daughter yeah. Who's, all of that know, stuff a little bond yeah. person which There's, is and I, very and hard I've, to watch yeah I completely agree with I do I, I sympathise with a lot of that and indeed some of the reviews of the Netflix show have been less than good so my recommendation is not the Netflix show my recommendation is actually a podcast and it's called Maddie and it's doing something almost exactly the same as the Netflix show but I would argue so far it's actually doing it better um there's something about the podcast format and the way it's being produced um it's an australian outfit i believe uh, it's done by nine podcasts the number nine podcast it's just simply called maddie and um it's from uh, nine news in australia actually right yeah. there we go and um you know i, I think it's because i'm a journalist i lo- i don't <laughs> it sounds silly i don't like not knowing things um there's this, i think there's a certain inquisitiveness built into a lot of journal we just want to find out what happened there and so you know to use a different example when the malaysian flight went down and everyone's like oh the plane's disappeared don't know where it went uh, that really unsettles me not just because people died yeah. and that's a horrible disaster but because it feels like given all our technology and our expertise we should know and and it's the same thing with me with the Ma- with the Madeleine McCann case it just I don't like not knowing I know that sounds very silly and um, but at the same time it's something I actually I do feel you know, I didn't I didn't follow the story that closely at the time. So actually now with a bit of distance and time that's gone on to take a fresh look at it, I found the podcast better than the Netflix show, but I am I'm listening and watching both because I'll admit, you know, I, I you know, ethical considerations to one side, I admit I am inquisitive, I am interested, I hold my hands up and I say I, I do want to know what happened here. Listen, and I'm the, hoping that by the end of either the podcast or the Netflix thing we might actually have some answers. And I know that sounds ridiculous because I'm just a you know, not dispassionate observer and you think, hang on, this is a real family and what are they going through? Um, but nevertheless, I confess to being um, interested, and I would, if you're interested in the case, I would recommend the podcast more than I would the Netflix show. Okay, so that's the Maddie podcast. You can pick that up from Nine News and pretty much wherever else you would get your podcasts. And uh, Ruth, what is your recommendation other than your own book? <laughs> Um, so, you know, uh, Stormzy has got this new book imprint, Murky, which is part of Penguin Books. So his his book, Rise Up, which is a brilliant book, another plug for that one, um, was the first book to come out on that. Um, they've just, uh, coming out next month, released another book on Murky Records. Murky Records? Not Records, Murky Books, which is called Taking Up Space. And it's written by two young black graduates of Cambridge University. And it's a kind of handbook to um, black university students, particularly girls. And it is absolutely absolutely incredible I'm aware that I was reading it from very much a place of white privilege and um, and it, but it was quite interesting as well because I went to Oxford and obviously there's quite a lot of parallels in terms of quite an archaic 
um, in some senses, quite a patriarchal society. And I was looking at it through, gosh, the, you know, there were there were moments that felt slightly misogynistic for me. But to then go through that and feel like a real implicit, if not explicit, racism sort of throughout your university degree. So one of the girls was the only black student in her year, and it's just really, really interesting, incredibly challenging, and I think just such an important prophetic voice for young black girls to, to sort of encourage them to rise up and they go through some of the difficulties and, and things like mental health and all of that but it's also quite an inspiring book and I think if you were a young black girl thinking about going to university and not sure whether you should you would read that be challenged by it and think oh gosh this isn't going to be easy but I think you'd be really inspired by them because they are incredibly inspiring girls there you go so remind us of that title Taking Up Space and it's Murky Books on Murky Books okay get that uh, again all, all the usual places alright well that brings it to the end of this rather Brexity uh, kind of <laughs> turbulent episode of Signal. Thank you for bearing with us whilst we've been watching we end things in a Brexit, unfolding. We should end in a Brexity fashion of saying that saying goodbye, but not actually going. We just keep <laughs> just keep rolling for as long as possible. How, how much more can we talk about it? Yeah. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Right, okay. Karen, chatting for another two years, is it? <laughs> okay. Well, let's not do that. But we can tail off nicely. Just gradually fade I'm away. very obsessed about it. As my voice fades away, let us also fade from you. Oh. Thank you so much for joining poetic. us this month on uh, Signal. We really appreciate you spending the time. If you have enjoyed the podcast, do all the usual things. Go like and subscribe in all the usual places. If you're on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, if you drop a five-star review, that really helps for people to find the show and obviously share it on social media, drop it into other places. We'd love it if you would do that. We'll be back next month with more tales of what's going on behind the scenes in the Christian world when it comes to media and faith, as well as also more stories of the world of faith and media i suppose that's what we're gonna do we have been christians in media and this is the signal podcast we will see you again i've been james polter ruth Sam. jackson Ailes. that was work. odd should we do that again no I okay like that. that's it from us <laughs> <laughs> that's it from us i've been james polter ruth jackson i've been sam Hales. lovely to be with you all you're not still sam Hales, only in the past tense i am still sam Hales. i have been i will be i will forever be Okay, I'm just going to gradually fade those two out. (laughs) Thanks so much for being with us on Signal. We'll see you next month on Signal from Christians in Media. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.